Open your Bibles with me this evening, back to Colossians chapter 1, where we will spend a good portion of our time uh, again this evening. And uh, the title of my message, What Went Wrong, What Is Wrong, I'm colorblind, Jeremy. Test one, two, test one, two. Oh, there. Just so you know, Jeremy, this is perfect. Because the title of my message comes, bears out from the thought of so many people who have asked me, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so, you know what? That's a perfect illustration. We live in a broken, fallen world, uh, and, and that is what it is. So, uh, but also, uh, something I wanted to say at the outset uh, of our time together tonight is, you know, sometimes with something like Local Evangelism Month or, or our missions conference, which we do every March, uh, I think sometimes it can feel like we are just trying to beat one another over the head with what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, tonight's message, I hope, will kind of be the antithesis of that. It's important. We need to be reminding one another, like I readily admitted, I need a swift kick in the pants every once in a while to get myself going. And I know that there are lots of people like me out there. So it's good for us to do that sometimes. But tonight, I really hope, I really hope that by the end of the night, after we've discussed what went wrong and what is wrong, that we will actually be able to walk away from tonight filled with joy about evangelism and about making disciples and about seeing how that can happen in our everyday lives and, and you and I challenging ourselves because of what we see in God's word by responding to that and going out and, and doing the work of evangelism. Uh, so uh, I hope that's how everyone feels when they walk away uh, tonight. I hope that's how my heart responds uh, as we look at these things. And in general tonight, uh, a, a second word of introduction is that, you know, I am really uh, thankful for passages like tonight, because it's a reminder about a couple things that I see are very important in our world and for which I am thankful. Tonight, when we are looking at our passage of Scripture uh, in Colossians, it's going to start out with essentially a poem or a hymn. And it's a reminder for me that we see the arts all the time in Scripture. We see the creativity of our amazing God on display repeatedly uh, in Scripture. And verses 15 through 20 are really a, a classic hymn uh, of the early church or a poem uh, or of, the, or of the early church. And we're not exactly sure which of those it is, but we can see very clearly that, that there's... there's uh, some creativity to what is going on there. And it's a reminder for me that we need to be thankful as well. We need to be thankful for the body of Christ because you know what? Not all of us are creative types. Not all of us are the, uh, the knitting musical types. Not all of us are... <laughs> Not all of us are that type. And, and, and I say that just to give Mike a little bit of a hard time, but, but he is 
part of what I am thankful for for our body. We need people like Pastor Mike who are creative. We need people who play the keyboard and play the instruments and can help lead in music so that we can exalt and honor our Lord together. And, and sometimes I think that we've allowed the world to corrupt arts and we've allowed the world to steal something which is beautiful and should be used to glorify the Lord. Uh, we've allowed the world to steal that from us. And we need people who are painters and, and can paint beautiful murals on our walls like Elizabeth Davis or beautiful verses on our wall like Trish Smith or can make things look beautiful by the way that they arrange uh, and decorate things. We serve a beauty-making God. And that is just amazing. And for the, if you're not one of those people out here, that's fine too. But we need those people for the rest of us to help us to have a fuller, complete understanding because we're going to see, not only do we see this poetry here, and we see it in Proverbs and Psalms and, and Ecclesiastes, which we're also going to look at tonight, and in the Song of Solomon, but we, we see beautiful things like Mary's Magnificat, right? We see all of those different ways that, that the God, through his word, exalts or challenges us to exalt him through song. Uh, and so this matters. This creativity of our God is a beautiful thing. And even if we don't fully understand it, that's kind of okay uh, as well. So this passage that we look at is going to create these truths about God in a beautiful way, in an artistic way, uh, and in a way that, that I think even those that may not be the creative types like myself uh, I think it will resonate with our souls. It helps us to get a better glimpse and an understanding of who uh, our God is. So, so taking all of those things into consideration, you've opened your Bibles back up to Colossians chapter 1, uh, and we, we see that now that I'm done with my little freebie introduction, you didn't have to pay anything extra for that. That was free of charge with the price of admission uh, as you came in the door. But now we're going to get to our passage of Scripture here tonight in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, where it says, He, talking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless, blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So our first point that we're going to look at this morning is what, 
went wrong? The first thing that we come across in our passage is that by him all things were created. At this point, it's looking pretty good. And, and it stays that way for quite a while here. You see, our passage begins by articulating beautifully and poetically the truths that we see all throughout Scripture. That Jesus is the one who was, who was there at the beginning and has the power of creating with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit together. And this, this hymn most likely helped the early church to understand and connect those dots of Scripture. It, it takes us back to the book of Genesis. And it takes us back to a creative God who, who made us for the purpose of having a relationship with Him and gave us the task of, of tending to the garden. It takes us back to, to before sin had corrupted the world. It takes us back to before the fall of man when we screwed everything up. But it also takes us back to the Psalms. And, and I'm thinking specifically of one psalm, but, but we see it all throughout Scripture that, that, that God was there in the beginning and how He created. But in Psalm 8, possibly one of the texts that, that this early hymn or poem was kind of derived from, in Psalm 8, verses 6 through 8, we read this. You have given Him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under His feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. In, in the context of Psalm 8, it's talking about, about the creation and, and, and how God was there from the beginning, and, and we see glimpses of Jesus there. And we see that, that even though everything had gone drastically wrong, that God has always had a plan. That God always was going to be at work in this world. And we see glimpses of that kind of language in our passage tonight. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Paul was wanting to make sure that the early church understood Jesus is God. Jesus is the one who was always there from the beginning. He was the one who was there when it was created beautifully before sin. And he is the one who died on the cross for us. And there's so many dots in between that he helped them to connect as, one, as well. The one who rules over everything that he has made is Jesus. But in verse 20, it jumps right from creation to the new heavens and the new earth. And, and quite frankly, when, when something like that takes place and you jump from one to the other, it's so easy to kind of to miss some of those connecting thoughts and those connecting concepts. We go from, from Jesus being the, the creator to him reconciling all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So, so we see in the beginning of this poem or hymn that, that Jesus is the one who was always there from the beginning. And we see in the end of this poem or hymn that, that, that Jesus is the one who's reconciling everything to him ultimately when it's a new heavens and a new earth and a new creation. But there's a whole lot in the middle that just gets completely left out. And I think that, that the early church was missing some of those dots. And so Paul 
steps back and becomes Paul Harvey. And he gives them the rest of the story. Yeah, you guys are just like the teens. They don't get that either. You know, when I talk about stuff like that with the teens, they're like, "Uh, who is this thing you speak of, old man? I thought that you guys would at least recognize Paul Harvey, and I'm sure you did. But the teens and and us, when we kind of miss something like that, I think that's what was going on here in the early church. They're singing this hymn, they're doing this poem thing, but they were missing some of the information in the middle there, and it was kind of going right over their heads. And so that's what's really taking place here in Colossians, is is we see that those verses are this kind of early hymn or early poem that that talks about Jesus and his creative power and his majesty and how he's going to reconcile all things to himself. And I imagine that there were Christians in the early church and uh, in the the early Colossian church that were like, I'm not getting that. And that's why we see this kind of drastic shift from those early 15 through 20 and verse 21, which kind of jumps in and the whole language changes. Well, it's because this is now Paul trying to help them see all of the things that they maybe missed in the middle there. And, and we see a complete real change in the tone and in the language. I think the early church was missing those details, and so, so Paul says, hey, I want you to understand... What, how those details connect. And so I'm going to help you by talking about who you are. Or, more importantly, because he's talking to Christians, who you were. And so he says, and you who once were alienated from your creator. You see, they get the beginning part of the story. They get that there's this beautiful God who created it and everything. And they get that there was the fall of, of man. But sometimes it's so... Uh, difficult. We get those things intellectually, but we don't really connect it. And Paul says, you were once separated from your God. That's what's wrong with this world. You are, they are just like you. They were lost and separated. The wall of hostility was there, dividing you from your God and, and brother from brother, and it was separating us. Sin separates us from God. We know that. And he was helping them to see that, that the why they were missing it is that they were maybe neglecting their understanding of who they were. So Paul reminds them of who they once were. They were alienated from God. And he says, not only were you alienated, but you were hostile. I, maybe some of you can't remember what you were like before you came to know Christ as Savior, if it was early uh, in, your, in your life. But Think about the world in which we live. I think hostility is a great word to describe what's going on in our culture. Everyone is hostile toward everything. And if there's anything about God brought up, sometimes they get extremely hostile about it. Paul reminds them that 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 middle, the, the middle between the, new, the, old, the, the creation and the new creation, there's hostility toward our creator. And that hostility is, is because they can't possibly understand what God could be doing. And so when we talk about things that, like, God works all things together for good, the world around us, they, they don't have a filter with which to understand that. Think about how we as believers sometimes struggle with difficulties that we face. 
right? It's hard. If we're honest, it, it, it's hard to understand some of these things. And we have the Holy Spirit in us, and they don't. And so their only response is, is hostility, hostility toward God. They are hostile in mind. And it, and it says that they were doing evil deeds. Most of the time when people are, are hurt, they lash out. And when you're hurt and you don't understand why, you lash out at God. Because he is obviously the one who's causing all of this. And it always amazes me that oftentimes people who say that they don't really believe in God, they still get angry at God. They get hostile and they lash out and, and they'll, they'll do evil things. You see, that's what's wrong with our world. There's alienation. There's hostility. There's people running around doing evil deeds. And, and I don't have to tell us that. All we have to do is turn on the news and see that. We prayed this morning for the events in, in Las Vegas and, and the brokenness and the hurt and the pain from that kind of a tragedy. But the reality is, is that there's just hostility in the world all around us. And were it not for Christ, that would be us, alienated from our Creator, hostile toward Him, and doing evil things in the world because our world is broken. Even though that, that, that poem and that hymn starts out by talking about the beauty of all that God has created, Paul reminds them that there is something drastically wrong with our word. And, and so we turn to God's word to get a better understanding of what that is and what that looks like. And, and I think that a way that we can do that is by looking at some more of God's poetry. So we're going to look at Ecclesiastes together tonight as well. We're going to look at just a couple passages. And, you know, it's interesting, this morning in Sunday school with the teens, we actually uh, looked at a passage or two from the book of Lamentations. And so this might be the only Sunday in my life that I preach from Lamentations and Ecclesiastes all at the same time. Uh, and I think it's a wonderful thing because oftentimes we neglect those books of the Bible. We neglect the things that, that sometimes are a little bit more difficult uh, to understand. And perhaps some of you here who are maybe my generation or older, uh, much of what you know about Ecclesiastes might actually come just from, you know, this, the song, to every day turn, 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 right? I mean, for most people in the world, that's all that they know about the Bible is Ecclesiastes 3 because the Beatles sang about it. It was the Beatles, right? <laughs> who was it? See, you're laughing at me because I got the title or the, the group wrong. See, that, that makes me feel young. I appreciate that. <laughs> that means I didn't mess that. I messed that up because I was just too young. I'm, I'm the wrong generation for that. <laughs> uh, so we're going to look at that because, because the book of Ecclesiastes has some great wisdom for us that I think will speak to our hearts regarding doing what God wants us to, specifically even in this, in this arena of local evangelism and reaching out and making disciples and, and, and doing the grunt work that we talked about a little bit this morning. So we're going to look first at Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 through 26. 
where it says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. The, the book of Ecclesiastes says that so much in life is meaningless if we don't have a right understanding of who God is. Good things, bad things, all the things that take place in life, and then that's where that, 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 that chapter 3 uh, in the song that they sing, there's a time for peace and a time for war and a time for tears and a time for joy and, and all those things. The rain comes on the good and the evil at the same time. And without an understanding of who God is, it's all meaningless. But that says there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat or drink and find enjoyment in his toil. That takes us back to Genesis. That takes us back to the garden. That takes us back to when God created everything and he said this is good. And he put Adam and Eve there and he said in work and toil. And it wasn't bad, it was good. It was beautiful. And Solomon is hearkening back to that and saying that that is a beautiful thing for us to find enjoyment in our toil. And in fact, when we don't think about God and we don't think of things in light of eternity, everything we do here is meaningless. And I could gain everything in the world, but if I don't know God and have a relationship with Him and spend eternity with Him, all of it will be gone when I die and someone else will get it. Life is meaningless without God. And so, so we need to make sure that we are finding enjoyment in toil. But it's so hard in this world because we say work and it's a four-letter word. Toil is a four-letter word too. And, and it seems like it's so bad for us to have to labor and toil because when the fall came, it ruined everything. But God doesn't want it to be that way for us. He wants us to find joy and meaning and satisfaction and contentment in our relationship with him. He didn't create us for meaningless, mindless toil. He created us for toil and labor that glorifies him. He created us for the purpose of, of our labor and our toil, bringing him great joy and bringing us great joy in that process. And so after the, 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 the passage in Colossians, or Ecclesiastes 3, jump down to verse 9, where we'll read verses 9 through 13 of Ecclesiastes 3, where we see a repeat, essentially, of the language that we just saw. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they, as long as they live, so that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. You see, the key is that we need to have an eye on eternity. That's the difference maker in all of this. Having our eyes set 
on eternity, having our eyes set on God's will, having our eyes set on God's purposes. That's, that's where we will find great joy and contentment. And I believe that Satan has many Christians convinced of a very subtle lie. And it goes something like this. I hope that my friend Joe trusts Christ so he can live forever. Now, maybe it's subtle, and maybe some of you don't even see what's wrong with that thinking. But what's wrong with that thinking is this. My friend Joe will live forever. He doesn't have to know Christ to live forever. The problem is, is that if he doesn't know Christ, he lives forever separated from God in eternity without God, suffering for an eternity in hell. I want my friend Joe to know God so he can glorify God as he lives forever. God created us to be eternal beings, and he set eternity in our hearts. Joe's an eternal being. All of our friends that are without Christ all of our neighbors that don't know Jesus are eternal beings. It's just that they will be separated from him forever when they die. You see, it helps us to see the world this way. C.S. Lewis actually challenges us to think about these kinds of, uh, of things when he, when he wrote about it in The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis says this, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. It is with awe and, and circumspection proper to them, then, that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all our friendships, all loves, all plays, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal." Now, C.S. Lewis is one of those creative types. And he uses this hyperbole of saying, you know, you might come across average Joe in your life. And they may see the, seem to be the dullest, most uninspired, and most unimportant person that you could possibly imagine. But we need to understand that dull Joe is an eternal being. And so he says possible gods and goddesses, and he's using this, this hyperbolic language to kind of get that point across because, well, that's what creative people do. But he wants us to remember that there are no ordinary people. You and I have never talked to a mere mortal. And I hope that that's something that we remember. That, that our neighbors across the street are going to live forever. And our desire should be for them to live forever glorifying our God and worshiping him and exalting his glory forever. Everyone is eternal. And, and that helps us to think back then to our second passage there in Ecclesiastes, when we see that theme repeated that there should be joy in our toil. Joy in our toil. Getting us back to, to the fact that we should be happy and joyful and content and complete when we are working for the things that are eternal. When we are working for things that have eternal value. Jesus challenged the disciples with this. He said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Not here on earth. Not where moth and rust and thieves are going to steal and destroy. Invest in things that will last. 
And when we do that, you're going to find great peace and contentment and joy. And, and there's such beauty in our toiling when we are doing it for our God. And in fact, it says that it, it helps us to see that, that when we toil that way, this is pleasing to God. You know, I know it's only October, but think with me for a moment about Christmas. I know it's hard when it's 80 degrees and storming outside, but think with me about Christmas. What's some of the greatest joy that we get at Christmas? Yeah, don't get me wrong, we all like to receive gifts at Christmas. That's wonderful. But have you ever had the opportunity to buy something for someone that you love? And it's the absolute perfect gift. You just know that it is going to be the absolute perfect thing that they want. And it's only, it's only uh, December 1st, right? And you've got 24 more days until they open this gift. And you are like waiting on bated breath with anticipation. Oh, I can't wait till Julie opens that gift. She is going to love it. It is going to be amazing. It's going to be fabulous. And then she opens it, and sometimes you end up getting more joy than the person who receives the gift because you get to see their joy. Our passage tells us that that, that is how God is responding to us. He gives us the ability to toil with joy, and he tells us that it's our gift to us. It's our gift to be able to toil for him. It says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. God's gift is that we would work and toil and labor for him and we get joy and peace and contentment out of it. You see, God doesn't want us to be berated and beaten down to share the gospel with our friends. He doesn't want us to feel like, oh man, it's local evangelism month and I'm going to feel guilty again, so maybe I better not even go to church this week because I haven't reached out to anybody and I, I just don't think I can do it. God doesn't want us to respond that way. He wants us to find great joy and satisfaction in serving him. In fact, I think there's nothing better than when we live for that which is eternal. There's nothing better for them to then be joyful and to do good as long as they live. So we need to be involved. We need to be toiling for our king. And we should find great joy in that. And my hope is that if you're serving in any kind of ministry here at First Baptist Church, or if you are reaching out to your friends and neighbors, if you are doing a, a discipleship Bible study with someone, I, I pray that you would have great joy in doing that. That, that you wouldn't see it as, a, as an obligation, but a privilege. That you get the opportunity to communicate God's love, His grace, and His mercy to someone who right now is an eternal being separated from Him. Who will be without Him forever, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And instead we have the ability to present to them the gospel, which, which can take them out of the domain and the dominion of darkness and transfer them to the kingdom of light. So that's what's wrong with our world. And I know all of us knew that before we walked in here tonight. 
But sometimes it's important for us to just kind of stop and, and think about that. And that brings us to our, our final series of things that I want us to think about and talk about tonight is, well, if that's what went wrong, well, then what is wrong? What is wrong with our world then? Because we see that, that Christ created this beautiful creation, and, and verse 20 reminds us that, that someday he's going to reconcile all things to himself, and, and we're going to have the new heavens and the new earth that we see in the book of Revelation. And then we see that middle part where, where Paul, in verse 21, challenges them to, to understand that they were once alienated and separated from God, just like the people that they're trying to reach now that they were lost and hopeless, but, but he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present us, in order to present the church, in order to present all people who have put their faith and trust in Christ as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He's going to do that. But the problem is, is that the gospel hasn't fixed everything yet. And so our neighbor... And so Joe, and so fill in the blank with who you love that doesn't know Christ, they're still living in a world that's broken. And if they don't know Jesus, all they see is the brokenness. And so they feel alienated. And they're angry. They're hostile. And they may be doing evil things. And the reality is, is that we all know that, that even if they're not out there doing evil things like taking people's lives and those kinds of things, they might be relatively good people. We all know that all of our deeds of righteousness without Christ are like filthy rags. We get that. And so that's where they are. And, the, and they're, they're still wallowing in the brokenness of this world. And they're looking around and they want answers. The beautiful part is that you and I have answers. Verse 23 reminds us that as Christ is reconciling all these things and he's going to present us blameless and above reproach before him, it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, st stable and steadfast, not shifting from the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The way I see this passage of Scripture, there are three different kinds of people. There are those that don't get the gospel, the lost, those without Christ, those who, if they passed away right now while we're here, would go into a Christless eternity. And that is heartbreaking. That is the reason that we want to reach out and to share the love of Christ with them. They can't possibly understand the joy of knowing Christ. They can't understand the joy of toil for things of eternal value because they don't know Jesus at all. They don't understand it. They can't understand it. And then there's, there's those of us that, that get it. We love Jesus, and we want to toil with joy for him. 
And, and we desire to, to live in such a way that, that our attitudes, our actions, and our words all culminate in, in bringing glory and honor to our Savior. That, that my life is a living sacrifice presented to my Savior in such a way that, that, that He will be honored and glorified and pleased with all that I do. Those that get it. But there's also a group of people which I think myself and all of us that get it can sometimes slip into. The ones who think we get it. You know, there are days when, when all of us think we get it, but we're laboring and we're toiling, and man alive, it feels more like obligation than joy. And, 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 if, and if that's where you are tonight, or if that's where you find yourself at some point, I think you need to, to understand that God created us to find great joy in serving Him. How beautiful are the feet of Him who brings good news isn't just a cliche, trite saying. God says it's a beautiful thing to to be a message bearer of my gospel to the world. It's a beautiful thing to, to have passion for reaching the lost. It's a beautiful thing for us to be the ones who can share eternal things with people around us. Because the danger is, is that if we stay too long in the camp that, where we think we get it, but we're really not toiling with any kind of joy, there's really only two options for us at that point. Either we don't believe that the gospel is necessary for someone to have eternal life, which is not true. We know that's not true. Or we just don't care about the people around us. God wants us to find joy in sharing life with people around us. In sharing the gospel with people around us. In trusting that, you know what, I am presenting the gospel to others and it will do what the gospel does like we looked at this morning. The gospel will change lives. It will do its work. And so I just need to be faithful and trust God in all of those things. But I think it's important that verse 23 starts with if. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. You see, too often I think we find ourselves shifting from the gospel. Too often we find ourselves shifting from the life-changing, eternal salvation-changing message of the gospel to all sorts of other things. And we lose sight of the eternal because we're so busy, caught up, and wrapped up in our lives in the here and now. And I think that's partly because we still live in this world that's broken and tainted with sin, and it's just too easy for us to get distracted and caught up. So my hope is that for us as a body, for us as individual believers, in regards to local evangelism, I want us to understand that if indeed we desire to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, we need to not shift from the hope of the gospel that we heard, which was proclaimed to us 
of which I became a minister. And you became a minister. We are all image bearers of Christ. We are all ministers of the gospel. I get paid to do it. But all of us are ministers of the gospel. All of us have a personal responsibility to know him, to share him, and to grow in that relationship with him that we looked at this morning. So perhaps you're laboring and toiling for all the wrong things and it's causing great frustration in you. Perhaps you're toiling in your own strength and you're not seeing the outcomes that you desire because you're doing it in your own strength. Man, you may be working hard at the gospel, but you're not seeing any results because you're doing it in your own strength. If we want to have joy in evangelism, joy in our service to the king, joy in our toil and labor, we need to make sure that we are continuing in our faith and not shifting from the gospel. I believe God wants to glorify himself greatly in this church, in this community, in the lives of the people that we know and rub shoulders with. And I hope that you believe that too. And if so, we have to find joy in laboring for him. If that is your desire, get out and do it. Get out and get involved. And it will be toil. And it will be work. And it will be hard work because we're in a broken world. But God tells us that it's the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts that he's given to us. And we get to labor for him. You see, God wants us to see evangelism and discipleship like ice cream, right? Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Ice cream is my love language. But too often, as Christians, we act like we're lactose intolerant. Well, I can't have that ice cream. You know, if I do that, it's going it's to make me uncomfortable. If I do that, it's going to be, uh, you know what? God wants us to enjoy it. He'll take care of our lactose intolerance. That's the thing, John. Some people can't have milk. It's a bad thing. God will take care of that. He wants us to find our joy and satisfaction and completeness in him. So that's my prayer for us tonight, and I will close us with that thought. Father, we do desire to find great joy in serving you, our King. We, we know that when we have the right perspective, that we can have great joy. That's what you tell us in your word. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have an eternal mindset regarding discipleship and evangelism, and that we would not even see our toil and our labor for you as labor, but that we would be willing to do it and that we would be willing to find our joy in you in all that you've called us to do. Father, we want your name to be praised in our church, in our community, in the lives of those that we know and love. And so we pray that you would give us the desire to share the gospel, to be disciples, making disciples in everyday life so that you get the glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.